What's up, everyone? You're listening to Modern Guilt Up Late. This is the start of a new era, I think. There are changes. Yeah, we're just talking about it. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. We're going through changes, but yeah. we're, we're locking it in and we're going to start doing fortnightly episodes. Two a month. We're going to stop doing the Patreon. We've got one more Patreon episode coming, sorry. Some people have paid already. So we owe you an episode. Then we're going to start doing, so two free episodes a month. No Patreon. We'll sprinkle stock shit into the regular episodes. We're going to outsource the editing. It's going to be fun. And we're going to get back in our stride. And it's going to feel fucking good to be back. Multiple people. Real self-improvement. Yeah, exactly. Multiple people have like hit me up like online or in person even and being like, what the fuck's happening with the podcast? Rah, rah, rah. We need modern guilt, dog. And mm. you have it. It's here for you. It's like your child, you know, it can go astray, but it'll always come home. Well, and there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of shit that's happened that we haven't talked about that has been burning me up on the inside personally so yeah yeah you know, much more uh, shit to come this is just such a fascinating you know every day i feel like there's more modern guilt shit that keeps happening that i'm just like oh my fucking god yeah you're absolutely right about that like we're yeah. undoubtedly just living through like a, an extremely distinct period of history you know I, I think like culturally economically i suppose people will like look back at this decade in a hundred years and be like wow that shit you know got weird so and if you listen to this That's podcast, what we're here for. you probably like that. Or maybe you can appreciate it. I like it. I think it's fucking mental. So recap on some shit that's been happening. That's... So we're meant to do a pod and we're going to talk about the Melbourne riots. Yeah. And that's kind of like cease. But I figured that I've got like a bunch of tabs open and mm-hmm. I was just going to fire it through them. Got a full but, clip. Um, yeah, yeah, fully. So I saw like there was a bunch of like major accounts, um, specifically Republicans, that were talking about how America was going to devolve into Australia, which is now the like, you know, considered to be the new North Korea. Oh, yeah. I suppose in the eyes of the rest of the world, with like reasonably good reason. Oh, for sure. Fucked what's happening out there. Yeah. So, it... oh, carry on. Sorry. If you were not aware of what was happening, essentially, my understanding of it is this, that there has been a lockdown in Melbourne and Sydney and other parts of Australia for, I don't know, it's got to be like coming up to a a month, a couple months, maybe three months now. Yeah. Well, Melbourne Um, has been like in and out of lockdown for now, the better part of maybe like 18 months, even like they've had a few pretty long lockdowns. So I think like you know, 60% of the last 18 months they've spent in lockdown. Yeah. And shit kicked off reasonably big when they banned construction workers from working because not enough of them had got the vax. Uh Uh-huh. And the vaccine is mandatory over there. So you have to get it to work and to function in society, basically. Right? Is my understanding. It's it's becoming that way. So you're right about the 
Yeah, there was regulation that was supposedly about to be passed saying that construction sites, yeah, couldn't be manned by people who weren't fully vaccinated. And for those who are not familiar with, I guess, like the state of Australia's economy, like we are like hugely dependent on like real estate development. We're like a mini China in that regard. So like trades and those kind of auxiliary businesses that support trades and construction sites are essentially one of the backbones of like the metropolitan Australian economy, I guess you could say. Well, yeah, and the regional economy. Yep. So for the majority of tradies who are like unvaxxed because they're like fit, normal people to be yep. told they can't rock up to work is a huge fucking slap in the face as well as another enormous setback to Melbourne, like the, their local economy, which has been devastated already by like months of lockdowns. Yeah. I'm just moving to a non-squeaky chair. Yeah. I just yeah. realized this That's is a fucking horrendous chair. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it kicked off with a suicide, if I'm correct. Oh right? shit. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. So, sorry, chair noises. Hold on. Damon's just moving rubbish and random belongings off of his new chair. Oh, that looked nice. nice. Yeah. Little peggy. Some local flora. Local flora. (laughs) Bit of a botanist in my spare time. (laughs) Who isn't? No one I want to be friends with isn't. So anyway, yeah. So my understanding is he kicked off with the suicide. He killed himself because he couldn't work? Yeah, on site. Fuck me. And then, yeah, then they took to the streets. I didn't realize. basically was just going fucking ballistic. And I was sitting there. It was like a nice return to the uh, days of live stream riots. Yeah, I I understand for sure. Yeah, one screen going basically all day long, just watching them march through the streets and sort of, you know, take over the... They weren't really taking over. They're just kind of like marching everywhere Mm. and being incredibly pissed off. For our listeners who aren't familiar with Australia and New Zealand, to help paint the picture, it probably helps to explain as well that Australia has like a heavily unionized, like labor and trade workforce. So I can't even remember the name of like you know, a lot of them right now, but one of the huge Mm -hmm. ones is like the CFMEU. I think they're the largest trade union in Australia and they have like a vaguely militaristic presence whenever they're striking or marching or whatever. Like it's pretty common to see, you know, thousands of tradies marching with like all their vests on uh, and like a CFMEU flag, like, like an highly organized mob of like British soccer hooligans or something like that. So when these guys like, you know, march, they're not doing it like some lip wristed bitches. Nah, this is some fucking BLM shit. I fucking I. Somebody like going through the streets, not like there's a reporter that got bottled and police that basically, there's a bunch of like scuffs with the police and that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, I saw so this motherfucker had his head that, fully split open, man. Like the oh, yeah, cops just yeah. decked this guy so badly. Oh, not that dude. Yeah, right. So I was thinking you were meeting the reporter that got like VB'd in the back <laughs> of his head. Yeah, no, that guy got fucked up. That, that was, was intense. So 
It was largely being live streamed by a couple of people. The biggest live streamer was this guy called Real Ruk- Rukshan or Ruk- Rukshan or something like that. Yeah. And his streams were getting picked up by like Nine News, which is a major news network. It is a major news network. Yeah. All's right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That we're spinning at it. It's like the fucking um, opening segment. It was basically like selfish right wing trader. He's taped to the streets. You know, like rioting against the vaccine and then basically dumping all this, you know, right wing Nazis, alt-right fucking yeah. rhetoric and just to immediately try and like discredit the entire movement. Oh, um, that's insane, man. When really like so, it's the furthest yeah. thing from it. It's a fucking labor movement, you know, like it, oh, yeah. it has like socialist yeah. underpinnings. Yeah. 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 Which is the whole thing was like just such a fucking weird moment of it reminded me of the movie V for Vendetta you know where they Mm -hmm. like ramp up the propaganda so the thing that I found interesting and I haven't confirmed any of this but multiple live streams apparently according to the live streamers they weren't able to stream on Facebook and their streams were getting taken down and so they were moving to like backup channels like Telegram and stuff stuff like that as well as the police using their live streams for you know, the express purpose of sort of like seeing what's happening and, mm. and everything like that. And there's that one moment where they all gathered on some, you know, this is apparently sacred monument in Melbourne, which is like the returned services yeah, temple yeah. or some shit. Yeah, it's like the yeah. shrine of remembrance to That's it. World yeah. War One and two soldiers. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they were sort of there all day and they got totally surrounded by the police. And then the police just fucking swarmed to them. After this, so backing up a little bit, there is a bunch of like discussions happening between the police and the protesters. The police were trying to get them to move down a side street in small groups and was trying to broker a peace deal that no one would get arrested. And then some people started leaving. Then they fucking reported because people have access to technology now that they were getting arrested in these small fucking groups that were shifting around. So then all these other motherfuckers just decided like, nah, we're staying. You can get fucked. It wasn't a huge crowd. It was like a few hundred, yeah. maybe, maybe like just under a thousand or something. And the police just fully fucking moved it, surrounded them. And then just went for it, man. And I was watching the live stream and they just started like getting the fucking riot guns out shooting them with beanbags and everything and people were running around being like this is Australia this is fucking Australia <laughs> like shooting uh, it and that was effectively I don't know what happened to the rice they just kind of like dissipated or or maybe they're just not being shown or well I think but, you're right they did dissipate they they lost right. their wind but I can tell you one of the reasons that might have contributed to it it's that there's footage that I I've saw several videos showing pretty much the exact same thing is the police visiting people's homes with like a little piece of paper, like a form or whatever, because they've been monitoring Facebook and finding people who have been engaging with particular content about protests and riots and have been going to their homes preemptively like the fucking Stasi and being like, yeah, g'day. So just doing a, like a, routine check here have you been engaging with any you know any posts on facebook about riots or protests regarding lockdowns <laughs> and these people are like opening their front doors there's like three cops and these people start filming and they're just like nah i don't know what you're yep. talking about 
And they're like, oh, well, is your name X, Y, and Z? Are you sure that you haven't been reading posts and liking this and sharing it? Like, are you planning to go to the right? And people are like, nah, like denying everything, but the police obviously know what they've done. So like they're finding people's profiles on social media and then using that to find their address and go to their home and intimidate them into not <laughs> marching in the streets. Man, get the fuck off that platform. Or if yeah. you're on the platform, scrub your info. I had a schizo moment a couple of years back where I was just like, no, I don't want to have any identifying information anymore. So I basically like scrub my entire plat- my platform. Yeah. All the information off the Facebook and everything. Yeah. And I just, it's nice to see, well, it's not nice to see this shit happen, but the worst case scenarios basically come true, you know, mm-hmm. where these platforms are totally being used to command control. This is just, so yeah, Australia just seems like a full-blown totalitarian state, but with For a sure, funny man. Australian bent to it, you know, like it's still Australia. Yeah. And it's still um, kind of like goofy and. You know what's, uh ironically and loosely connected to this is that i was uh in tasmania last week briefly with the lovely wife and we went to the memorial garden at a place called port arthur where the massacre took place that led to australia disarming their population all right so this guy killed 35 people in tasmania and then he was found three days later and shot dead by the police. Would have been a stressful three days for that, just hanging out in the woods, deciding what to do. But anyway, <laughs> stressful for the victims and their families Poor more guy. so. But yeah, so basically, you know, on the back of that event, understandably, the government said, yeah, that's it. They did what New Zealand did, essentially. They're like, hand your guns in, no one's allowed them, blah, blah, blah. And the population at the time was so whipped up into a frenzy that they supported that. And they're like, yep, cool. And now, you know, plenty of American commentators are looking at Australia and they're saying like, this is what you fucking get, man. You know, like you give up your guns. This is what happens. So kudos to you guys and don't fucking let them fry those rifles from your slimy little hands. (laughs) Well... It's an interesting argument. I definitely would love to have a rifle collection, but you know, living in New Zealand doesn't really make that possible. But I, I kind of get the whole thing now, a little more, you know, oh, because at the end of the day, you can't, like, man, that was the thing with those riots in the States. It's, there's so much more on edge, hey? You know, like, mm-hmm. you just can't pull off that shit if everybody's got a fucking weapon. And it's not like, I remember seeing a lot of uh, reactionary arguments being like, well, look at the U.S. military. You can't compete with that. But it's like, man, there's a lot more fucking crazy counts with guns willing to protect their property than mm. there are people in the military willing to kill citizens. Americans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, and- yeah, you, you could eventually kill every American if you wanted, but at what cost? You know, there was a Japanese admiral I think his name was Admiral Tojo, who was one of like the leading, you know, officers in Japan during the Second World War. And the Japanese right from the jump knew that like they couldn't risk a drawn out war with the United States. And that was what led to them making their preemptive attack on Pearl Harbor, etc. I won't give a history yeah. lesson, but essentially he was quoted saying, 
basically by saying that, you know, a, a ground invasion of the United States is absolutely insane. Like you can't do it because there's a rifle behind every blade of grass. <laughs> like yeah, that's like, such yeah. a cool, great, great quote. And it's right. You know, like you try and march an army into the US and like you're just dealing with some patriotic legend jumping out from behind a fucking tree and popping you every five meters, you know? It's like oh, just man. not doable. Yeah. One of my good, one of the, the better Discord groups that I've had, I was chatting to this dude from Texas and he was just like, ah, oh, you want to see my gun collection? And I was like, yeah, sure. Fuck yeah. And <laughs> he just shows me, he's like, oh, I sleep with this handgun next to the bed. And I was like, fuck, that's sick. And it was just like, and here's the closet. And he like shows me, this is this like rack of assault rifles. And I was like, holy fuck, man. That's mental. He was like, nah, it's pretty normal. Like a lot of people have like a good collection, you know, down here in Texas. And that just proceeded that, like, I thought he was done. And he just continues walking around the house and there's just like more shotguns and like guns and, you know, little locations just in case. I think he's more on the prepper side, but still it's mm. fucking next level. Hey? Yeah. I mean, anyway, all of props. <laughs> it's really funny as well. Like I've been seeing... I mean, I've seen people say this quite a few times, like online recently. It's like, you know, all of this shit is radicalizing me pretty quickly. You know, like I was, I've always been like probably pro-gun. Like I've never had a super strong opinion on it until like the last 18 mm. months. But like now, like I see all this shit happening. I'm like, how the fuck would I not want a gun? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like. I know exactly. Right now, yeah, man, I'm, I want to yeah. fucking buy like 10 acres of land, build a 12 foot fence around it with fucking towers on the corner of my section and have like 20 rifles. You know what I mean? <laughs> Start building little turrets and shit. Yeah, exactly, man. I literally want to live in a fortified compound. Like I'm not even fucking joking. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm already on the fucking page. Yeah. I mean, I know like, you have been for a while. <laughs> been watch listing like pieces of land to bug out to and everything. One yeah, no, I think it's, I, well, like it's hard to escape the idea that the West is dying and it's hard to escape the, like the just sheer amount of fucking backlog just in the last month, basically of things that have happened that are mm -hmm. starting to like line up a series of potentially catastrophic issues or at the very least destructive issues coming up just makes you want to like know about and society sucks anyway like no being out of it it's a fucking perfectly reasonable option like we've covered previously i think that there's multiple movements of people noping out of society you mm -hmm. know and like what started as the ironic neat revolution online i think is slowly drifting into the real world like some you know I don't know. It's not, it's not like QAnon, but it's like much better than that. Cause it's just a bunch of people deciding that society's shitty and it's much better to not be a part of it because yeah. it's just gone in this horrible direction. And if you're on the other side of the fence and you are participating in it, I feel like it must be getting pretty bad when you look around and you just see like all the insanity of what's happening, you know, like the rhetoric around the vaccines and been around just fucking everything man it's just oh it's like impossible function anymore it, it is pretty um, unreal yeah absolutely so what's what's next for australia how do we t tying this 
this one story of many up. Give me a prediction. Ah, well, as a current citizen, <laughs> it's a really I I don't know, dude. I I mean, I'm a current current resident. I should just clarify in case like ACO are listening or something. Um, not a citizen, New Zealand citizen yeah, still. You're always welcome. Yeah, I mean, I, I I really don't know. Like, I think Australia is largely just fucked. I think yeah. like culturally and like politically, uh, I don't really see there being any thing resembling like a golden era on the horizon where we recently just cemented ourselves even more so as like the spineless lapdog of the United States. When did you hear about like the submarine disaster that just happened? That was going to be the next story I was going to move yeah. on to. Well, we can yeah. do it now, I guess. So like... Because it ties in nice with Evergrande as well, I feel like in terms of a story of the demise of like these Western powers, specifically mm-hmm. Australia, pissing off its largest, is China its largest trading partner? If not, yeah. it's got to be up it there, is. Right? It, it is. is. It's okay. largest, yeah. So they, Brown Eye, their largest trading partner, and then Evergrande happens, which we can recap on, mm-hmm. I'm sure, because it's fucking important. And then all this shit, I don't really follow the sub thing as much. I mean, it just sounds so <laughs> retarded. I feel like they're just shooting themselves in the fucking foot, man. Yeah. So, anyway, g- give the rundown. Give the whole thing. Yeah. So I'm probably going to get some of the figures, you know, incorrect because I'm doing this off the top of my head. But yep. essentially, the Australian and French governments had an agreement that Australia would be replacing its aging submarine fleet. They were going to be diesel powered and they were going to buy... I don't know, let's say fucking 30 new submarines off France. And the Australian government had already started to pay for like the planning and the preparation for the production of these subs and had, I think we were something like $400 million out of pocket out of what was going to be potentially like a 30 to $50 billion outlay, maybe even more. I can't remember. It was an insane amount of money we were paying for these submarines. And like, you know, rightfully so, I guess. It's super expensive. You can imagine to fucking build Navy submarines that can fire missiles out of the fucking ocean. So there had also been like a long back and forth about like, were these submarines going to be manufactured in France or were they going to be manufactured in Australia using French tech? And Mm. there was like negative public opinion in Australia because we were like, why are we paying all of this money to support French industry? Then the French were getting pissed off because we were like, actually, we want to just pay you guys for the tech and the expertise, but they need to be built here by Australians, et cetera. And all of that leads up to this scenario that has just unfolded where the United States, Australia, and the United Kingdom, obviously three longstanding allies who are like insanely close in terms of you know, diplomatic ties and also defense history and agreements announced publicly without consulting the French. So the French heard this in the media. This is like, you know, seeing your ex cheating on you on like TikTok. Oh, not your ex, sorry, your current partner. Like not even your ex. Australia is like, yeah. I mean, it probably happens far more often than you'd think or than Uh, you'd like to think. Celebrated. Yeah, yeah, it probably is. (laughs) Yeah, all these like poly motherfuckers or whatever they are. So Australia is just like, hey, world, we just signed, you know, I don't know, a $45 billion agreement with uh, the United States and the UK, and they're going to transfer us their nuclear submarine technology, and we're going to have a nuclear-powered submarine fleet. 
to like counter yeah. the the growing influence and threat of China in the Asia Pacific region. Then France is like, fucking what? It's like, <laughs> sorry, like what did you say? And then Australia, I mean, sorry, the French pulled their ambassadors from Australia and the United Kingdom. So essentially cut ties. They're like, peace out, fuck you guys then. And then Scott Morrison, Australia's prime minister, scheduled a call with Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, whose call wasn't answered. Macron let it go to voicemail and they haven't spoken. So like. Australia, we're beating our own citizens to save us from COVID. We're not letting construction sites get worked on by people who don't have vaccines. We're alienating one of our traditional allies in France so that we can roll out a bunch of nuclear submarines to piss off China. The largest trading partner. Yeah. So go figure, Who do these motherfuckers think put food on the table? Diplomatic time stuff. This is what I don't understand, man, is like... These old allegiances that no one fucking cares about unless you're, I don't know, we're, you know, like, I, I don't rail on boomers really much. I don't really like it, but like the, the only people I can imagine having that sort of like allegiance to the US and the UK or some sort of like concept of Western glory that is like oh, yeah, well and truly sure. devolved. I mean, I think the, um, the- Because money's the only thing that fucking matters, <laughs> like- Mm. I think like the um the myth of like Anglo supremacy or whatever, like essentially white supremacy or but specifically like the myth of the English speaking world being like the global mm. leaders is still like pretty strong and important for like most people in in these English speaking countries, I think. And it's also necessary, right, to like perpetuate that delusion in order to like retain kind of some semblance of order or power in countries like australia i suppose so but i think pivot would be important hey like oh i completely agree yeah yeah like like you're you're completely right money is all that matters and that's exactly why like the powers that be feel the need to perpetuate these myths you know because like we're not trading with the largest trading partner anymore but we are aligned with the good guys we are white Yeah, there's always that. So, you know, enjoy that. Fuck, that's going to be gnarly, man. Holy shit. Yeah. I can't even imagine. So, okay, so that must have pissed off China a little bit as well, right? Yeah, but they've been pissed off with us for years now, man. You know, they don't, they don't like us. There's no salvaging this relationship. Mm. Well, yeah. they're our pimp, man. A pimp doesn't have to like his hoe, you know? So Australia hasn't had a recession, I was reading, for... uh, Let me pull it up because let me get the the keyboard ASMR. Yeah, I don't know Um, when it was, but like they were the only country to not enter recession during the global financial crisis. Yeah. Fueled primarily by the export of, you know, fossil fuels and, and iron ore. Yeah, Australia last recession in the mid 1990s, which ran into 1991. So it's effectively been like a 20, yeah, 20 year golden period. That's been good times. 30. And 30. Fuck. Mm. Fuck, it actually is 30. Oh, yeah. God. 
boss. Not even 20, it's 30. It's the oh, rise man, of the fly-in, fly-out worker, bruv. Yeah, well, it fucking is. And this is yeah. the interesting thing, man, that I'm keen to see in all of this is like, that has been an astounding golden period. And like, life is good over in Oz, or at least it was, you know, like very mm-hmm. good pre-pandemic. Richest country on earth. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it felt like it. No, literally. We Australia, like, is, like, really? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's incredible. Per, it was just like... Per uh, capita or whatever. Yeah. It reminded me of the stories of the 1950s in America, where mm. it was like, no matter what you do, you can effectively get by and live a pretty fucking decent life, mm-hmm. you know? So that was all fueled off mining. I mean, there's no... Mining for the wider Australian economy, real estate for the average Joe... Yeah, uh, and ed- education is also a huge one that I think people overlook in that story. Like, I think mining and, you know, construction, construction slash real estate. But then I also I yep. think education and, like, having a steady influx of immigrants as well was super important. Yeah, well, it's amazing to see how much that's fucked up shit as well. Mm. You know, so if that's ending, which I, I kind of don't see how it can't, no, oh, it's and, ending. Definitely. You know, what the fuck is the future of Australia going to look like? <laughs> you know, like it's just going to be, it's sad when a country falls from grace, you know, because it becomes very difficult, I think, for everybody. The wealthier classes don't really feel it, but, you know, the, there's obviously cracks are starting to show, like, as seen with the whole Melbourne bullshit going down and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, I the question of what, will Australia become is essentially a Chinese outpost, I think. Like, uh, right now, we're already essentially <laughs> just like a, a sandpit that China, you know, takes its commodities from. Like, Chinese investment, I think, drives a lot of mining operations in Australia already. Obviously, the coal industry here would fall over if it wasn't for China. And, yeah, like, you know, Chinese business people and whatnot already own, like, huge amounts of infrastructure in Australia. Like, they own the port of Darwin. Yeah, right. They And it'll just keep happening. They they own a lot of real estate here. And, yeah, it's just going to continue. You know, we can try and push push back against it, but I think it's fruitless. Which yeah. leads us to Emigrand, which I right. think you should give us a look at. Okay. Okay. So... My understanding of Evergrande, when I started following the story, is that they had effectively been selling bonds or real estate-based products to mom and dad investors around China. Uh And it had also been selling its bonds to UK and US banks, but not Chinese banks as much, was my understanding of it. I might be wrong on that, but... I think you might be. I think from what I remember, out of the $300 billion in liability owed, $17 mm. billion was foreign debt. So the oh, majority of it was owed okay. to either Chinese banks, but a lot of it was also owed to investors and contractors. Right. Okay. Yeah. My mistake. Yeah. Good, good little fact checking there. Okay. So, oh, fuck. I need to pull up some resources on this. That's okay. um, yeah. So essentially, like, I'll just kind of fill in the hole and you can probably pick yeah. back up in a minute. Something that's, like, important to know before you, I guess, fully grasp this story is that in China, like, the majority of people don't invest in stocks. And the the common way for 
to get rich or to build wealth is to invest in real estate. And the CCP has overseen like an insane, like bull run of real estate prices, I think since like the late nineties. And obviously because these property development companies like Evergrande can't develop if they don't have land, they need to pay the CCP to develop the land. And what Evergrande's like basic business model was and what got them into so much shit is that they saw property prices accelerating and rising so quickly. So they started overbidding to buy land, to put in this land bank that they were building up, then borrowing against that land, but betting that the value of the land that they already own would increase higher than the interest rates that they were having to pay on new debt would. So right. they were like, like just playing this, way. Yeah, this insane <laughs> game of chicken. Bigger. Exactly. Bill playing times like a million. Um, yeah. So that's like a, a loose idea of like why this is problematic. But yeah, carry on. Right. Okay. So, I mean, that, that's in itself is interesting. I think so. It's super interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Working through this thread. Sorry. I just need to catch myself up on Not this. Not so good. Again. This is one of those things where it's just so much has fucking happened. Right. Yeah. So they're bidding up land prices. In the last 15 years, a serious affordability crisis emerged in major cities and household debt that soared way above disposable income. I mean, this is kind of an interesting story in itself because it's just, this is literally happening in every other fucking place as well, uh, right? For sure. So household debt as a percent of GDP has basically skyrocketed to around 60%. That's fucking insane. Yeah, that is insane. Right. And most of it tied up in mortgages, right? You'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what popped it? That's what I'm trying to find here. Well, it's interesting because, like, people in the know have known that Evergrande has been a house of cards since, like, late last year. But essentially, I'm pretty sure the pandemic caused property prices in, Asia, in China to, to dip or slow down. So I, I can't remember if they fell or they just didn't grow as much. And then everyone was like, okay, hang on. Like now Evergrande is sitting on like all of the, all of these assets. Um, Leave it as well. Exactly. That yeah. are just like not worth what they say they were. And what they were doing is like, they had $1.2 trillion worth of assets on their balance sheet. Yeah. Holy fuck, I didn't know it was that big. Yeah, which is like obviously why they could continue, you know, accessing credit or issuing new bonds or whatever you want to call it. But a lot of these assets were not being written off as bad investments. So they would overpay for this land, then like build 20,000 apartments or something like that. And then the COVID crisis hit and suddenly no one could buy them. So is that also an issue with the ghost cities? Because that was something that I was following for a long time with like, how can they build it? They basically build entire cities that nobody lives, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that that people will come. Yeah. I'm sure that they're somewhat connected. And then basically Evergrande encountered like a liquidity crunch, I suppose you could say, because they're like, well, we have all of these shitty assets that are like falling in value. We can't now access new finance and no one's able to pay for these things. And then it's like, well, the, the guy that needs his bond payments is knocking and it's like, 
okay, you owe me $93 million on Thursday and you can't afford to pay. So like, what are you going to do? And that's essentially where we are now. So like the CCP has started like injecting liquidity into the Chinese financial system to the tune of, I think like 6 billion US dollars per day for like the last week or something, which is lucky, I Mm. think. And at this point, it looks like they're not going to prevent a collapse of Evergrande, but they are going to manage the fall, I think is what they've said, which is ironic because it's much like those epic Chinese building demolition videos that you see like online, you know, the ones I mean, where there's like a 20 foot, uh, 20 story tall tower that just like collapses and it's perfectly contained destruction. So maybe yeah. that's what the CCP think they're going to do with Evergrande, but I don't know. Yeah. So in a highly inflated market where you don't know how much leverage is on the system, but because of the crazy fucking bull run, we've already seen the Archigos, Archigos, whatever collapse uh-huh. spectacularly, and then Evergrande collapse, and then there's all these other, quote, well, is collapsing, but slower. Uh-huh. I guess there remains this question of like, well, how much other leverage is there? out there there's gotta be a fucking lot you know yeah that's that's the question that i think no one wants to ask and think about the answer to you know what i mean yeah 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 well it's like what you're I'm in this this yeah. bad relationship and like it, it's say you've had like three good years with this relationship then you have one bad year but like you're both trying to pretend it's not happening and then you get drunk one night and then you say to the other person, like, is this working? Mm. And you both know it's not, but it sucks to hear. Oh, it's way worse than that. It's like that. But then you find out that they like skive off to go, you know, rail mess and fuck it, attack the homeless. You know, yeah. like it's just so much fucking worse. <laughs> okay. So to, to elaborate on that a little bit. I, I think it's worse largely off the back of the fact that if they start to default, it's going to be much more widespread than just like, you know, real estate prices slumping in uh-huh. China. Because there's a really good Twitter thread on this entire thing that someone started to notice. Iron ore and the largest producers of, you know, the largest miners out there, including BHB? BHP Billiton? Billiton? Yeah are already starting to plummet. And Rio Tinto. Yeah. And Rio Tinto. Yeah. Uh So they're starting to basically enter into downtrends already. And that's sort of like just the tip of the iceberg, you know, because we were covering student loans not too long ago and talking about how like all these people are levering up against these like essentially worthless loans that students can't pay back and if enough of them can't pay it back then it's, they can effect, effectively default and that'll just plummet everything because there's just nothing there to actually borrow against you know and these banks aren't going to be able to make up the interest payments on the nothing that they're borrowing against that isn't producing any fucking money which is exactly the same scenario here and they're all sort of like working in tandem with one another <laughs> Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, yes. Trying to tie this in to, so I guess Evergrande is just in like a watch and wait, but it looks like it is starting to collapse. The U.S. debt ceiling has also been hit. Uh huh. And America's going to run out of money apparently on October 18th. That's it. 
Yeah. <laughs> there's a government shutdown impending. Actually, there's probably a headline on this right now. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I've got it. Oh, okay. I'm um, pretty sure today house... was the limit, right? The threshold. <laughs> no, it's October 17th, I think. I think that was for their for them to run out of money, but I think they, oh, today they, or maybe tomorrow is where they need to have a bill passed by before government shuts down. So all public right. servants stop working. Yeah. Or stop oh, getting really? paid, I should say. Yeah. They, <laughs> most of the public servants continue yeah. to work because they understand that the country will collapse without them. But yeah, the budget yeah. that just dries up and public servants have no money. So. Yeah, so the House passes debt ceiling suspension that is doomed in the Senate. So the Republicans are basically going to be like, nah, fuck you, because things have been going well. As they should the as well. So I, actually, the whole thing I actually saw <laughs> fucking Steve Bannon, of all people, man, talking about the way that the Democrats have used the debt ceiling as like, I don't know what the right analogy for this is, but essentially like yeah. a an empty threat that they've just like held over the heads of the American population for how long now? 12 years? Yeah, something like that. It's and been fucking insane. They keep saying, like, if we don't get our way, we're going to fucking, yeah, we're going to go bankrupt. <laughs> if we can't pass it, like the, this new infrastructure bill or whatever, then we're not going to pass a bill about the debt ceiling. And yeah. You can see the same thing happening, right? So, like, the Republicans totally. need, need to call their bluff. Because right now, at the same time, they're trying to pass their $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill and like a $3.5 trillion appeasement bill. I don't even know what the fuck that means, but I'm going to look this up right now. Appeasement bill. Jesus. There, there's a narrative that I'm going to try and tie together here because yes, all of these things have to tandem with one another. I, I haven't fully fleshed out the thought. In my sorry, I'm really sorry to interrupt you. I just want to clarify, not appeasement, okay. reconciliation. I'm just, I'll just do like 30 seconds on like quickly just saying like, what the fuck is this reconciliation bill? That's cool. I'm just grabbing more Coke zero. Yeah, so it'll be... Trick of choice for conspiracy (laughs) theorists. Billions of dollars to give people two free years of community college, $450 billion for child care and kindergarten, Medicare expansion, extended child tax, family leave, climate change action, et cetera. So $3.5 trillion to, I guess, it's essentially like a, a social bill, I suppose. Yeah. So they're like, we have $4.7 trillion worth of spending that we want to get through the part of the house. And if you don't let us do it, then we can't come to a deal regarding the debt ceiling. So the Republicans need to just say, get fucked. They do. And, and I just think that the whole system is so fucking truly like awful at this point. <laughs> it's oh, just- it- the swamp is, to like, is fuller than ever. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, there's just been so much runaway speculation. A- anyway, so so if these defaults start to happen, which is starting to look more and more realistic, and even if it's like a managed series of defaults, there's still going to be some serious evaporation of capital and liquidity from the system is basically just going to have to make up for the fact that there was just so much leverage being recklessly used by banks and you know yeah i didn't never like blaming real estate uh, sorry not real estate retail investors like i mean it's such a tiny slice of the pie like sure retail traders are doing reckless things but like it's you know probably one percent of the margin debt around or less than that probably 
Yeah, totally. Well, it's one of those classic cases where it's like, well, how are they going to make up the money, right? And it's, well, they'll probably, the banks will need to jack up interest rates. And in the moment mm-hmm. they start to jack up interest rates, then they're going to really start fucking people over. You know, people that own houses, that have taken out huge fucking loans, like in New Zealand, where you have to pay like a million dollars for a shack. <laughs> just to be able to get like a dilapidated pile of shit in Auckland or, you know, not even in Auckland anymore. It's just like any other fucking city, you basically have to be getting 500K is the absolute minimum, but substantially more Hmm. than that. Wages haven't gone up in a long time. And if the banks need to make money, which they probably do, or they're going to start lowering their risk exposure and jacking up interest rates, it's going to supremely fuck this like massively inflated asset bubble that we've been in for so long. So it's one of those cases where it's just like, man, I wish I had a lot more cash on hand. <laughs> just kind of watch this shit. What up, man? You know? What yeah. up? Um, but you know, I mean, I'm fascinated by the whole this thing. This really right? goes to show as well. I'm so intrigued. I'm, I'm reaching a, I don't know what you call it. My, I can't even speak. I can't finish my sentence. Basically, what I'm saying is I'm peaking. My like interest and engagement in all things like macro and markets has been at 110 for like two weeks now. There's um, not enough and, nicotine and Coke Zero in the world to absorb all this information. You know, I'm loving <laughs> like the fucking sheer onslaught of it. He says it's as I fill up mm. my vape a little lot. But yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm the first ever US default is potentially on the cards as well, uh-huh. which is what we were talking about with the debt ceiling not rising. And nobody really seems to know what that would mean. I mean, there's been plenty of countries that have defaulted on debt before. They're normally associated with sort of like, you know, fucking Venezuela, Argentina, yeah, and then, Greece. You know, the International Monetary Fund steps in and is like, well, you know, you're going to have to enact a bunch of policies and we'll lend you the money, but you know, you're, we're basically going to be hugely paternalistic, but it's hard to feel like the international monetary fund is not some sort of like clandestine, 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 clandestine clandestine arm Mm -hmm. of the United States. I mean, it essentially is right. Policies. Yeah. 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 So like, all of these international institutions are largely run on the back of like US. And that speaks to the other conundrum. We talked about Afghanistan revealing that the emperor wears no clothes. And yeah. in addition to the economic consequences of a US debt default, it would also completely undermine the legitimacy of the US dollar and expose the sort of economic hegemony that it's had for the last 100 years as somewhat holy. Right, Haley has largely been pointing out time and time again and very over and over again that it's been abused constantly uh-huh. and Stanley Druckenmiller, all three incredible investors who have just said over and over again that hyperinflation is a slow process of printing money, realizing that it works really well to bail out, you know, institutions that have largely been abusing their power for a long period of time. And that slowly just stops working. It's just kind of like you take a hit, you take another hit, 
at this point in time, I'm assuming our whole audience knows exactly about, you know, has enough casual drug use behind them to understand how pointless hyperinflation is over a long period of time because you're just chasing the dragon and after a while it just stops working it's not as fun you know and, and um, then you wind up in a serious situation of bankruptcy and not being able to get enough bread on the table and what you're uh, describing is summed up really well by an Ernest Hemingway quote that I uh, read just today actually by coincidence there's a character named Mike in one of his novels called The Sun Also Rises and Mike yep. is asked how he went bankrupt. And he replies two ways, gradually, then suddenly. <laughs> that's so good. And that's yep. going to be the story for so many people who are found naked when the tide rolls out and the liquidity dries up, unfortunately. But I could be one of them, you know? So I'm, <laughs> I'm looking to accumulate cash at the moment. So, and yeah. uh, it's wrap, one of those situations wrap up a where, few positions if possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I feel you. It's a, it's such a like watch, wait, and be nervous. It's a good time to be nervous. I intrigued. feel this very nervous. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a weird just... one though. Like, I I feel the same sort of nervousness that I used to feel when I would like go to a club and take lots of drugs. Or when I knew that something like intense, but like potentially scary was going to happen. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it was this like, come up. yeah, this like great, but scary unknown. Your first line of MDMA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then even like, it, when then you get to like the 20th time you're doing MDMA and you know what is about to happen, like the back of your hand, but that makes it all the more nerve wracking. Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. And it's like, fuck, man. Okay. Yeah. We're about I've to do this. I've had some moments like that when I've been in, like, I've been in a car crash before. And there's a couple things that you'll notice as you normally do, but they might seem a little off. <laughs> I remember this is one car I was like, just, I was doing a summer job as a construction person, a person of construction. correct. <laughs> And I remember we were driving along and like the dude that I was with, my mate was hungover and he was just sort of like, we we're just talking shit or whatever. And there was this fucking car in front of us that was going kind of slow. And we drove past these like two drop kicks that were just like wandering around in the middle of the road, just being mums. And he like turns over, he's like, get off the fucking road, like pulls the finger at them, turns back car in front of us had stopped suddenly and there was just a couple seconds there where oh. I just sort of everything went slow-mo and I just remember thinking like yep we're gonna rear end that motherfucker go pretty goddamn fast and just it was just sort of like one second hmm. wonder what this is gonna be like you know two yeah. seconds god damn we're not slowed much three seconds here it comes Ooh, it just fucking violently exploded into the back of the car. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. And that's exactly the sort of thing that you see where it's like, you know, there's been, there's plenty of times where you see the patterns starting to emerge and then you see the train wreck at full motion, just speeding ahead. Anyway, the it's, it's certainly looking high, you know, 
Yeah, so uh, load up on NFTs, kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pile to the safe NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> Strong, free cash flow generating businesses. Yeah, they can devalue your money, but they can't devalue your JPEGs. So yeah. never forget exactly. that. Yeah. <laughs> your uh, artistic spirit. Yeah. Shall we just, shall we do a little, um, five minutes each freestyle on a stock that we've come across recently that we find interesting? Sure. Before that, the actual thing that I was going to talk about today was largely much more uninteresting than this, like long winded recap on all of these macro events that have been sort of forming together, which I'm beginning to feel is like the ultimate thesis of multiple episodes that we've talked about it reaching this like you know crescendo, Beautiful crescendo of, like, of guilt of yeah greed high interest rates worthless fucking assets that people hold that mean absolutely nothing and the sudden evaporation of wealth mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and you know anyway. what's really interesting yeah. i'm sorry to interrupt you but this is really good no, right. both of us i think are just having a lot of thoughts right now that this whole model that we're discussing in terms of you know, markets and, and the flow of money right now is parallel yeah. to the, the same principles that are like underlying like the cultural and philosophical death of the West also, right? Like you talk about oh, totally. like high interest rates and inflated fundamentally worthless assets. It's like when you talk about interest rates, you're talking about, you know, like doubling down on shitty cultural habits like at a high cost it's like yeah. you know TikTok, basically yeah you know we we spend our time pursuing superficial relationships which are these inflated and worthless assets like we oh when i say we i mean people broadly like you know pour ourselves into these cool scenes that means so much to us when really they're not like helping your life be good at all because they're all just full of sycophants and people that are using you but yeah. anyway carry on no I, I yeah expanding on that i completely agree it's like it's also pointless you know and worthless and it, it just feels like less and less reason to be involved in any of it because it's just like well you're not getting anything and it's a blatantly obvious thing you know, like, especially when you start to see like crypto kitties making, you know, fucking $500,000 off $1,000 investing in JPEGs and seeing these like completely unnecessary pushes to like create a bureaucratic society down towards social relationships where you have to like manage every conversation at the potential, you know, threat of offending someone <laughs> for not pronouncing their you know how you would refer to them when they're not even there properly yeah yeah <laughs> you know, like, i was thinking about i watched sex education not too long ago which is a show on netflix which deals with i don't know it feels like largely primed towards like a gen z audience and it was just fucking fast i felt like i was watching a cultural study i mean i don't really have any thoughts on the actual show but what was really interesting to me was just how much it seemed to convey this like rampant accept acceptance 
of everything except for old ideas and the way things, you know, the way things were everything, you know, but you have to accept everyone for being different, but not too different. And it's just, oh man, it was exhausting. Yeah. Um, and it just started to feel like the search for like pointless clout, you know, like, and you know, what's amazing. I think I actually forgot to reply to it, but you sent me this like infographic or something showing yep. like how many you, you explain it. It was, it was telling. Up. Yeah. Please do. Harvard's freshman class, 87% voted for Biden, 60% of virgins. That sucks. <laughs> 40% have had alcohol and 24% are religious. So 60% haven't had alcohol. That would have been a much better stat to put in there. So the th thing with that is like, obviously, you know, the funny thing with Netflix is it pushes this like, hyper-woke, hyper-liberal sort of agenda across all of the shows, right? Uh -huh. And it makes it out like everybody smokes weed, everybody's progressive, and everybody's in an interracial relationship. And, you know, like, it's weird to have, like, a, a mom and a dad that are white and straight dating each other. And it, that they're probably, like, poor or they hate each other or something like that. And that that's the world that they sort of present across <laughs> I feel like a lot of the shows but in reality it's like most of them are virgins they don't drink or take drugs yeah they like they're just literally like they're I don't know like they just keep seeming much more like socially isolated for sure and, and, it, and like mentally it just, ill it <laughs> just speaks to mentally Ill. how repressed these people are you know like you're late teens and early twenties are meant to be like an explosion of life. And these people are just yep. having shittier and shittier times and like, just feeling like posting, like it's okay. Um, and compensating I think for their, sick, I think the, yeah, just compensating for like their lack of yeah. like coolness and enjoyment in life by like, you know, jumping on like woke bandwagons. But yeah, I agree with you. You were about to say, yeah, like, well, you I think mean, they're sick. I think they're sick from microplastics. That I think you're up, right, I'm bro. Like yeah. Tinfoil hat to your microplastic pill. I, I just, I think it has had a legitimate impact on society. That, and I believe it's just sort of like a title shift of, you know, dying Western culture that leads people to just, I don't know, it like manifests itself in this weird way of like, like just collapsing social relationships and aberrate at, and I don't know, behavioral aberrations. Uh -huh. you know? Yeah. Just, yeah. It's, you know what it is, man? Bet. It sucks to be that. It's uh globalization and deregulation leading to greater free trade and export out of the east of soy. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, soy is, and its consequences have been a disaster <laughs> yeah. society and the West. <laughs> yeah, well done. I like what you did there. So maybe I'll yeah, say... Absolutely. We'll save Ayn anyway. Rand for next week or next fortnight, yeah. rather. But there's a little teaser for you all. If any of you are familiar with Ayn Rand, yeah, no, I'm kidding. 
we had a chat about Ayn and her ideas. Yeah. So we'll forget about stocks. I will wrap this episode up and we'll see you guys. Do we have to now? I, the main, the main thing I was going to talk about. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. It's relevant and only happens in the last 12 hours. Okay. Yeah. Is going back. It's an old GameStop story. Oh yeah. Of course. It's a review of GameStop. Yeah, so Ken Griffith, Griffith of Citadel, is he the president or the founder? Fuck, I don't know. Let me pull him up. Griffith, Ken Griffith, my bad. He is the CEO of Citadel, was in the news recently. So there has been a, a, I think he had to testify to Congress, largely, well, it was all to do with AMC and GameStop and Citadel has like broken their silence on Twitter to come out and say that many Americans believe in conspiracy theories, such as nobody landed on the moon. <laughs> and I think there's another one that they mentioned there that just felt like really patronizing it bizarrely, like, I don't know, not breeding aggressive the at all. Yeah. But basically what they're trying to say is that they were not colluding with Robin Hood at all to restrict buying of GameStop and AMC and other meme stocks that were sort of like, you know, going through the roof. However, the account Unusual Whales, which I quite like, which effectively follows like large amounts of capital. Yeah. And like prominent figures and where they're investing their money has come out and basically said in Robinhood documents, there's a discussion of selling stocks before the restriction passed. Take AMC, Robinhood states... I'm selling my MC and we're moving GME to 800%, which is presumably meaning that you were not able to pull. What, what was it when they were doing with regard to 100%? Uh, I think it was like- Is it the borrowing cost? 100% margin requirements. Right, yeah. Okay. No, I think it was margin requirements. Yeah, that it was makes like, sense. Yeah, yeah, so they're removing all margin on it. Yeah, which I mean, interactive brokers does that like all the fucking time, so it doesn't feel like a huge thing. So according to former Citadel Securities Senior Vice President in an internal chat with Citadel Securities Head of Execution Services on January 28, 2021, which is a great fucking night for me, Robin <laughs> Hood following moving, and, and you, that was epic, moving the following equity positions to closing only AMC, GME, NOK, BB, Naked, Cost, so a bunch of meme stocks. Citadel acknowledged this may cause some big moves. Emphasis added, when asked about options at 155, Citadel stated, options moving to closing only in all symbols. Robinhood knew at the highest levels of the company that its risk management system was strained to the breaking point during week of January 25th. Robinhood Securities President and CEO James Stewart, or whatever his fucking name is, who Tenev points out, Tenev being CEO of Robinhood, as to making the ultimate call to PCO, I don't know who the fuck that is, says in an internal chat, I sold my AMC today. So he was in it on AMC, which is weird. Why would the head of securities even be able to fucking trade like that? That's bizarre. That's super weird. Yeah. Obviously some super shifty shit going on. I sold my say AMC today, FYI, tomorrow morning, we're moving GME to hundred percent. So you are aware. End quote. Whoa. They also said. That even after NSCC, I don't know what the fucking is, exercised its discretion to reduce the capital call to protect the system from Robinhood's admitted default, 
They're going to fucking default. It's crazy. Robinhood held fast to its decision to implement a position of closing only policy, deciding before 8 a.m. Eastern on January 28th to PCO top four symbols, AMC, GME, NOC, BB, despite acknowledging we aren't paying $3 billion worth, which presumably meant that they weren't going to be, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to be doing there, but yeah. Each time a Robinhood customer trades, market makers such as Citadel Securities actually buy or sell the shares that determine the price, what price the consumer gets. So the rampant increase was definitely fucking Citadel up brutally. Yeah. Which everybody is well aware of. Yeah. So Citadel sort of likes to claim that they're market makers only, and they essentially make profit from small changes in stock price, not on big moves. So some of the stuff that they would do is that like, I'm going to go buy GME shares, Citadel buys them first and then sells them to me at a small increase, you know? So if I'm buying them for 10 bucks, then they'll sell it. They'll buy it at $10 and then sell it to me for $10 and one cent or something and then profit from the one cent. They have also been under fire from these retail conspiracy theorists as relentlessly shorting stocks and manipulating markets through shorting and everything else, which they have like vehemently denied and again passed off as a conspiracy theory. But one of the fascinating things that I just came across, you know, that I saw floating around on Twitter is that China fucking banned them from trading. Really? Because they were engaging in malicious short selling and they fined them $97 million. So they can't trade in China. (laughs) And this was back in 2015. That's crazy. Yeah. U.S. hedge fund Citadel banned from share trading on Shenzhen account. Uh, Citadel Securities, blah, 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 has one of its main accounts in China, has been barred from trading shares by securities regulators, making it one of the first foreign institutional investors to be caught up in Beijing's crackdown on, get this, malicious short selling that the central government has blamed for the recent market rout. Oh, so I was fully of the opinion that that stuff was a conspiracy theory. Like I remember back, we did another like post GameStop episode Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, you know, there are liquidity issues that you run into and it's important to retain like a certain amount of capital when markets get volatile. However, off the back of this, I wasn't (laughs) fucking aware of that. That totally makes it seem much more likely that they do engage in malicious short selling. And they have the fucking power to, you know, they have so much goddamn money. Goddamn. There you go. So some of the stuff that they would do, China's Securities Regulatory Commission has said, is coordinated stock dumping and selling off heavily weighted stocks, as well as automated algorithm-driven trading causing market turbulence. Citadel is probed for spoofing, a practice that involves placing and then canceling orders, distorting prices in the process. Spoofing is totally illegal on the uh, American exchanges, but also it's pretty well known that the SEC is very inept when it comes to cracking down on, you know, the sheer complexity of their financial system Mm. because it's just so fucking mental. They're great at cracking down on like Elon tweets, but yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) Michael Burry. Oh, what else? (laughs) Oh man. That's super interesting. Visiting Michael Burry's office. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, it's fascinating to see where this is going to go. So at the moment, Ken Griffith lied, Ken Griffith lied is trading, just very trending on Twitter. And will something happen? I don't fucking know. But 
it will be fascinating to watch it. I hope something does because mm. fuck those motherfuckers, you know. You see, um, speaking of which, the company that Roaring Kitty used to work for got fined for failing to supervise him while they employed him. Really? Mm. That's ridiculous. Like $5 million or something. But what, what were they meant to supervise them for? Oh, I think for there was meant to be some trades. Like, yeah, literally. I think there was some sort of thing like he wasn't meant to be trading or something. Or I, I, I can't remember. But anyway, mm. Screlly is out next year, by the way. Yeah, I've been waiting for his update, but the king keeps us waiting. He does. So, you know, as a good king should. The it's a good king shoot. We um, need him now more than ever. We, oh God. Imagine a, a scrally macro <laughs> take right now would be the, the dope that we all need. Oh, that'd be fucking absolute gold there. All right. So there's a bunch of interesting shit going on in the world. And the next time we record, it's going better. But I do and like the idea of return to philosophy in these turbulent times. Mm-hmm. But if you have any thoughts, listener then hit us up on Twitter. Some of you guys have been doing that. It's pretty cool. I enjoy it. I'm it not is on nice. there a huge amount, but when I appreciate it a lot. Yes. It's always good. Patreon people will give you your episode and then we're gonna we're gonna cut <laughs> off the drip. That will be that. The end of an era and the start of a new one. So thank you so much for your help and your support it's really awesome i'll actually send everyone a message as well and maybe we'll set up like a discord or something so we can continue to chat because like i know that we had some cool conversations on patreon with some of our listeners uh that we could maybe continue and yeah actually fuck the more i think about this that's Mm, a really good idea idea. because like you know the whole point of the patreon was for listeners to to, private discord (laughs) yeah to ask us about stocks and we would ask you guys and what you think and etc so we'll do that that sounds cool thanks for listening we'll see you in a fortnight bi-monthly episodes from here on out all right thanks for listening <laughs> fuck you <laughs> all right peace out <laughs>